0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, it's Thursday night football this week. Packers and Eagles squaring off at Lambeau Field in a couple of days. So we need to take a look at this Philadelphia Eagles team. And the first thing that I see is a 1-2 and two record. But when you look at the games this is a team that very easily could be 3-0, and just yeah, like Green Bay.
1: Absolutely. in uh, a very uneven statistical breakdown of them, if you really look at it. I, I alluded to this in some of the other content we've done. I mean, when you look at how they're defending the run, but they're giving up the yards against the pass – You know, Carson Wentz and the offense have been kind of beat up, but then he's leading these comebacks to make things interesting. Um, Their run game hasn't been what they want it to be. They've been injured at receiver, but yet they still feel dangerous, right? Darren Sproles came back. There's just so many different little sectors of this offense and defense that make them really, truly dangerous. And the other thing, too, that always stands out to me about these Thursday games, this is about as random in terms of what you're going to get of any other time you're going to see on a schedule. Yeah. Game plans are important. Philosophies, momentum is important. But a lot of times, as Tremont Williams and some of these guys said in the locker room this week, it comes down to who's just the fresher team. That's the battle both of these teams are <laughs> waging right now at the yeah. way they're approaching their practice schedule both last week and into this week. And you know, to some extent, there's some randomness to this, but the Packers are trying to dot their I's and cross their T's and hope that – You know, they can be the healthier, more productive team on Thursday night.
0: Yeah, well, the Eagles, all season long through these first three games, they've had a hard time getting out of the gate, so to speak. You look at their score by quarters, they've been outscored 50 to 23 in the first half of games, but. They've outscored their opponents 27 to 7 in the third quarter. So, they've been a team that comes out of the locker room at halftime. I think they've been down in every game at halftime Correct. if I'm yeah, not mistaken. That's right. They've been down at, in every game, but they come out of the locker room at halftime and make their charge at you. And it was enough to beat Washington in week 1 with the big second half comeback. They fell short against the Atlanta Falcons and the Detroit Lions but had opportunities Right in the final moments of both of those games, with big pass plays from Carson Wentz and the ball slipping through the receivers' hands, and that's why I say this team, this team is so close to being three and zero. And this is where this is where I consider a team dangerous. And I know the Philadelphia Eagles are banged up on defense; they're dealing with a lot more injuries than even the Packers are. Yeah, but. <clears throat> This is a team that a lot of people predicted would be right in the mix all season long in the NFC playoff picture. They do have a lot of talent on the roster, and they have players, obviously, who just a couple of years ago went through a Super Bowl run. When a team like that is is one and 1-2 and looking to avoid being 1-3 and three at the quarter pole, which would be a tough spot to come back from, this is a team you got to watch out for. Uh,
1: no doubt about it. And it's funny, too, you're mentioning those games where they could have been 3-0. You could probably argue that the worst game they've had this year is the one that they won against Washington right out of the yeah. gates with how slow they started yeah. in the comeback they had to mount. I thought they played Atlanta really tough, especially given the circumstances with their personnel. Wentz had to go out. Josh McCown, who was retired like a month ago, well, he's <laughs> in that quarterback.
0: And that was yep. on the road in a primetime game exactly. as Exactly, and we well. know what
1: that's like in that stadium with how yeah. difficult it can be there. But Deshaun Jackson has been beat up. They lose Ronald Darby to the hamstring this past weekend. So, you know, Doug Peterson, we haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, but I'm really interested to hear his thoughts on exactly how they're approaching this week and in, in just trying to get them as themselves as healthy as possible. Because the other thing that's very interesting about them defensively, as I mentioned, they're second in the league against the run, right. but they've given up the fourth most amount of yardage and you know they've been beat up in the secondary so exactly how they're able to respond to those conditions it's going to be really uh, you know I think that's going to be the biggest thing with who's going to end up prevailing in this contest and for the Packers perspective it's going to be defending the run Uh, you know they've given up some yards the last two weeks to their credit, outside of the 75-yarder to Delvin Cook, they haven't given up a lot of game breakers, but guys have consistently moved the ball against them. Now you're going to see Miles Sanders. You're going to see Jordan Howard, who has a history against Green Bay. Yeah. And then you got the, the scat back there and Darren Sproles, who's been doing it for 12, 13 years now. So <laughs> even though they are banged up, the point I'm trying to illustrate is Carson Wentz is enough of a mag- magician, easy for me to say, yeah. uh, magician that they're still sometimes able to – a rabbit out of other hat and Doug Petersons as creative as they come in terms of offensive play
0: callers. Yeah, well a couple of years ago when Wentz really uh came into his own, I guess I would say, and unfortunately for him, he wasn't <laughs> able to lead the Eagles on that playoff run, but right. he was potentially headed to an MVP award that yeah. year. If he hadn't blown out his knee, he might have uh he might have won the MVP. But the thing that's always struck me about him is he has he has the mobility to get away from the pass rush and make plays on the run, but when he is in the pocket, he's almost like a Ben Roethlisberger right. in that he's tough to bring down. I mean, this 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 is a quarterback. You know, a young guy. Obviously, it helps to be in his early twenties like he is. No doubt to be able to play like this, but. uh um, but this is just a tough customer at quarterback, and and they are dealing with injuries at receiver. You mentioned Desha- Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey's been out, so they've been relying on Nelson Aguilar and the tight end Zach Ertz. And Ertz is a guy I think who could be a, a tough matchup here. But Carson Wentz, I tell you, I've oh, I've been impressed with him since he came into the league, and he's just a guy that strikes me. I don't care what defense he's going against, and the Packers are playing really good defense right now. But he's the kind of guy who's capable of a uh, 300 50-yard, three-touchdown game anytime because he's just got that kind of talent.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really the truest sign of an elite quarterback in this league is if you can win – when maybe your weapons aren't what they need to be, you think of 2015 with Aaron Rodgers and the run they got on, and you're playing a playoff game with James Jones, Jeff Janis, and Jared Aberderis, <laughs> right Not the the top three that you were thinking you were gonna have at the top the beginning of the 2015 season. Yeah, you know, Wentz is in a pretty predict, uh, similar spot right now. You look at the injury report; they estimated that Elshawn Jeffrey would be limited with the calf. J- Deshaun Jackson's still a DMP. Looks like he might be a couple weeks away. Zach Ertz is the guy. I mean, he's he hasn't been off to that that fire. You know, fast start that he was last year when he had over a thousand yards or whatever the final stats were. But he's a guy that they are going to threaten the middle of the field with. Nelson Aguilar has been up and down throughout his career. These four seasons, we saw it in 2016. I think he was kind of in the doghouse a little bit mm-hmm. going into that game in Philadelphia. No but doubt. But he's reemerged. He he was able to kind of bring his game back together and be the player they thought he could be when I believe he was a first round pick for them a number of years ago. So, for Wentz's perspective. You need you need to have guys you're throwing to, you need to be able to find playmakers on the field, but his ability to work off script and make things happen, it's one of the reasons why Philadelphia has been able to play these close games the last few weeks when maybe personnel-wise everything wasn't really working in their favor.
0: Yeah, and what jumps out to me on the defensive side of the ball for the Eagles when I think about, you think about that defense they had when Nick Foles took over at quarterback yeah. and they made the Super Bowl run. To see that this defense, if I was reading the stat sheet right, they only have two sacks, two sacks. and I believe three takeaways. Uh, f- um, f- Yes, three. Yep, three right. Three takeaways Good through call. the first three games. That's, that's almost stunning, much like we were talking about the Vic Fangio defense last week with the Broncos, and that defense still doesn't have any sacks or takeaways because Packers did an outstanding job yeah. protecting Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers did an outstanding job protecting the football. But... Um, this is this is an Eagles defense. When you're talking about Fletcher Cox and some of these pass rushers Brandon Graham, guys like that that they have, boy, you would think uh you would think they're ready to bust out in some way two sacks and three takeaways in 3 weeks is not the what they're expecting out of this unit.
1: Fletcher Cox his quiet start is probably I don't want to say the most concerning but alarming for this defense. I mean, they need at that position, it's going to happen that you're going to go through lulls, and you just can't expect, yeah. you know, defensive tackles to just routinely put up a sack every game.
0: He's a but, big time player, though. But three yeah. tackles,
1: no sacks here through the first three for them. They need more from that spot, uh, because if you really look at it, for kind of like the Packers were last year a little bit, that's where their pressure actually kind of starts is inside, and then they work to their to their ends. Uh, But, yeah, trying to get more pressure there is going to be a big thing. And as I said before, I mean, with the secondary, they only have three picks. They're sort of working through some new things. You know, Andrew Dejo now plays in that secondary. To get back to the defensive tackles, Tim Jernigan's been out with the foot. So, again, working through some stuff early on here. And then also trying to see, you know, Brandon Graham now in this tenth season, you know, where is he at at this mm-hmm. point of things? There's a lot of questions that they have to answer. But as you and I both know, the defensive coordinator there, Jim Schwartz, has been entrenched there for a number of years. Incredibly creative with what he brings to the table. A very and,
0: aggressive play caller on yeah, defense, no question about it.
1: Yeah. So all those things kind of work in their favor, and they're always, you know, there is randomness to these matchups. So this is a situation where if you don't really stay up on your keys you know, that's where Fletcher Cox starts to make that uh, impact. So the Packers aren't taking these guys lightly, regardless of what the record says.
0: Yeah. I want to make one or refer to one element on special teams here too, as well, because you made reference yesterday to the fact that the Packers really weren't able to show anything with the kickoff return game and the new guy, Traymond Smith, because of Brandon McManus's leg. But The Detroit Lions ran a kickoff back 100 yards for a touchdown against these guys. And this is what's always interesting to me because when something like this happens, it's like okay, you know how how much is uh, Sean Meninga, the Packers' special teams coordinator? What's he looking at on the film, and maybe what he, they can take advantage of, or is it the fact that because they gave up a hundred yard kickoff return, they're going to get it short up now? Yeah. Like Whatever the weakness was, it cost them. It essentially cost them a game. Giving up a special teams touchdown when you end up losing by three points, and uh, uh, you know, so I don't know. I do know that that if Trayvon Smith gets an opportunity. Here, um, I think Meninga will probably let him take a shot, you know, not if he catches one, you know, say two yards, three yards in the end zone, it's like, okay, let's let's see if these guys can cover or not.
1: And I think, honestly, Mike, it usually goes one way or the other. It, it isn't just, okay, you know, they you're just routine, you're average, you're on the line if you give up a return like that. Typically, it ends up being, okay, you really get everybody together and pull that unit and, and reemphasize some things or it's sometimes a red herring for what is going to happen with it. I think back, honestly, to when the Packers gave up that kickoff return against Indianapolis a number of years ago. Yeah,
0: 2016. That, I'm
1: not trying to paint that as that was sort of the, you know, well, I mean, in some extent it was sort of the the beginning of the end for that unit that season. They just never were really able to be consistent enough, and then it kind of leaked over into a couple more seasons. So kickoff returns are so important right now in this version of the NFL because you don't get as many attempts as you used to as many bites at the apple right
0: the opportunities are rare because of the touchbacks and
1: it's on both sides Mike it's Mm -hmm. the kickoff returners making the most of those chances and it's the coverage units when you don't have all of those reps making sure that you stay (laughs) in your lanes and you find ways to contain the returner when the ball does come out
0: yeah interesting story there it's like and why I've always remembered this I don't know but back in the 90s the Wisconsin Badgers had a kicker John Hall right. who just for 4 years he booted every single kickoff like into the stands you know for 4 years the Wisconsin Badgers kickoff return team almost never had to tackle or cover anybody first game after John Hall had graduated and moved on to the NFL opening kickoff of the season and i believe it was Syracuse runs it back for a touchdown right. against Wisconsin i mean that's but you know that's an old story right but it's the example of when you don't when you're not getting the reps in game sometimes you just never know what's going to happen and and kickoff returns especially early in the season are really sporadic because when the weather is good the ball is flying, and there are a lot more touchbacks. And then you get later in the season, and uh, perhaps there will be more chances down the road. And
1: honestly, I'm really intrigued to watch Trey Smith's philosophy with what he likes to do because he brought out 33 kickoffs last year. Yeah. I mean, that That's a pretty big number for 2018 in the NFL. Yeah, so. averaging
0: two per game over if, if you count that so as What is he games. looking
1: for? What is Sean got comfortable with? Because even though we're three games into this yet, we've really yet to see... Anything from the returners. Um, And I don't mean that in terms of like being disparaging to, you know, the capabilities of them. Just, we just haven't seen it yet. There haven't been many kickoff returns that have come out. There haven't been very many punt returns yet. All things that are going to be, you know, maybe potentially on display at Lambeau Field on Thursday
0: night. Yeah. Well, I want to get back to a couple of things with regards to the week three results in the NFL because there is one development that can be very important to the NFC as a whole and to how things will Im- potentially impact the Packers down the road. And what I'm talking about is the New Orleans Saints yeah. with Teddy Bridgewater as their backup quarterback, now their starter for the next five to six weeks, whatever it's going to be, going into CenturyLink Field and beating a 2-0 and Seahawks team. Um this is this is potentially a, a really key development here in the NFC playoff picture because if uh, if Teddy Bridgewater can do what the Saints are hoping and play like he did against Seattle on the road, this New Orleans Saints team uh, could really be something when it gets Drew Brees
1: back. Well, and here's the thing that really stood out about that game is that. Russell Wilson didn't make many mistakes. They did lose a fumble from Chris Carson, but you know he played pretty relatively flawless football to keep his team in that game and you know try to get a big victory at home. Teddy Bridgewater didn't blink. Yeah. Uh, he you know as a, a, a backup quarterback, I don't care who you are, you could have been Aaron Rodgers in 2006 or you could be Teddy Bridgewater now. That is a difficult spot to be thrown into. You look at Mason Rudolph in his first start with Pittsburgh, has a pick. They lose the football game. I mean, it just didn't go their way that day. Mm-hmm. Bridgewater did exactly what he needed to do to steer that offense because there are a lot of playmakers there. When you look at Elvin Kamara and certainly Michael Thomas, the, the multitude of weapons he has to work with are ample. So his ability to step back into that saddle, he's played a lot of football. He started a lot of games in this league already. But he's gone through a lot over the last two and a half years. And this is a guy—not to
0: interrupt you, sorry—but this is a guy who would have a playoff victory or at least one playoff victory on his resume, if not for yeah. Blair Walsh, you know, duck hooking the 27-yarder on the frozen University of Minnesota field there against, ironically, Seattle. But, uh, but yeah, Bridgewater before everything happened with his knee, this was a guy whose arrow was clearly pointing up in this league.
1: Yeah, and you got to remember too, Mike. New Orleans has invested a lot into him over the last two years they traded I believe a third round pick to the Jets who had signed him as an unrestricted free agent you don't see that very often mm. never played for the Jets in a regular season contest he ends up coming over and then they go and re-sign him again this offseason I don't know how many millions have been invested into him at this point <laughs> but New Orleans sees a lot in him Sean Payton sees a lot in him and the Saints do have a question whether it's Tomorrow, next year, or in four years from now, right? Where they're going to have to replace Drew Brees? What a great audition for him these next couple of weeks with the weapons that they have. And New Orleans reminding everybody that okay, even if Drew Brees isn't on the field, this is a different team right now. We're a contending team, and we feel confident in the backup of quarterback that we have.
0: Yeah. Well, in looking at uh, what happened on Monday Night Football in the nation's capital, the Chicago Bears went to Washington, jumped out to a twenty-eight to nothing lead. And then held on from there. The bottom line, Wes, is the NFC North right now. You have the three and and0 Packers, the two O and one Lions, and then the Vikings and the Bears are both two and one and tied for last place with two and one records. And those two teams are playing each other, I believe, this coming Sunday. Yeah. So either the pack, or, sorry, either the Vikings or the Bears will be two and two after this week. But uh, but the NFC North showing up strong here in the uh, month of September.
1: I I don't know how many times I've said it on scripted over the last three and a half years. It's still, to me, the most criminally underrated division in football because I think so many people see the turnover at times the last three years with it in terms of who's been the front runner in it. Certainly you haven't had a team since 2010 win a championship out of it. But at the same time... I think people got to start paying attention to how many wild cards teams this division has produced over the last five or six years, and it's been every single one, every permutation that you have from this division in terms mm-hmm. of the combinations that have went. I truly believe, and again, we're going to see how all this shuffles out. The NFC uh, East looks like it could be a real contender, but I think there is a chance that this division produces three playoff teams. I really do think there is that possibility because when you start a season like this, Mike, and you take care of business in your your you know, interconference games, your AFC games. You know, there's a certain amount you're going to have to lose within the division, theoretically, but, you know, everybody's staying right on this, and they've all responded. Chicago got punched in the face right away off the bat. They were at home. We saw what that atmosphere was like. People are flying high. They had to mount a rally after that. They have. Minnesota did what they had to do against a bad team to come back and win that football game. In Detroit, after what could have been just a total gut-wrenching tie where they lose yeah. that lead against Detroit yeah. or against Arizona has right. responded. So yeah. in in all those regards I just think you're seeing what you need to see from these teams at this juncture of the season of maturity and ability to respond to some adversity.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm really interested to see how things are going to play out in this division as we go along i'm already being asked in the insider inbox with the vikings and the bears playing each other this week okay as a packers fan like who do you root, who do you root for yeah. like you know who do you want to win who do you want to lose i guess my take at this point the way things look right now only 3 weeks in I have to believe the best scenario for the Packers is for the Vikings and the Bears to split their two games. So My, th- th- That's thought... kind of the way I see it right now. So if that's the case, then you kind of just hope for the home team to win because the best odds for a split is for just the home teams to hold sure. serve and, and yep. there isn't as big of a, a chance for a sweep in that series. But in another five or six weeks, we might be, we might be singing a different tune as far as how you want this, this to go. I
1: have a completely different theory. I think you need the Minnesota Vikings to lose as many games as possible. It doesn't really. matter what happens with Chicago because Green Bay Packers have to go to U.S. Bank Stadium in week 16. If that is a playoff atmosphere, if that's something that where division and ramifications, playoff implications are all out there, it's going to be rocking. The Packers control their own destiny to some extent in that they welcome Chicago to Green Bay in week 15. So for my I perspective... I hadn't
0: thought about it from that perspective that... the Because I've seen with, these questions. With the remaining games the Packers yeah. have, you're right. The one is at home, the other is on the road against those two teams. I,
1: if I'm if I'm a Packer... Packers fan, if I'm following this thing, I want Minnesota to be completely demoralized. I don't want them having any hope going into December, because honestly, Mike, we know what it's like to play there yeah. when the games aren't with playoff implications. Right, and the, the Pac- bottom
0: bottom line is the Packers are 0-3 in that building, and yeah. yes, that game is a long ways down the road. We're already talking about it too much, but we, we already get the sense that that's going to be a big game, and the Packers haven't won there.
1: The Packers won in Chicago. They won against Minnesota and Green Bay. They get a chance to get that other one back against Chicago at home that Minnesota game, Mike, you know what that's always like there. So
0: that, that's my perspective on yeah. things. No, I think that's an interesting take. And uh, certainly with the Packers playing on Thursday night and the Vikings and the Bears going head-to-head on Sunday, I think a lot of Packers fans are going to be watching that ball game. Absolutely. That's yeah. the one to check out. All right. Well, with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hodd. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.